This morning, we'll be continuing our sermon series, The Gospel According to Jacob, and our scripture reading is Genesis 32, 22 to 32. The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, um, and his 11 children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had, and Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore to this day the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the, on the sinew of the thigh. We've been in this series uh, entitled The Gospel According to Jacob, and we're looking at the life of the patriarch Jacob. We've said all along that it's really a series that should give us some hope. And here's why, because if you know anything about the life of Jacob, you would think this, there's no way that God would be interested in Jacob. He's a deceiver, He's shrewd, he's self-centered, and yet God graciously intervenes in his life. And not only that, at the end of his life, he's completely different. There is a depth to him. There is a, a sincerity in his relationship with God. In other words, from like the beginning to the end of his life, he's just completely changed, and, and that gives hope. Hope to people like you, and hope to people like me. And put it this way, because some of us this morning, if you're honest, you're, you're struggling with doubts. Others of us, we're, we're struggling with persistent sin. Others of us, we're in a season of life in which we feel really far from God. Others of us, we think God's not really interested in me. Why would he intervene in my life? And, you know, we, we said this week after week, that some of us right now are doing really well in a relationship with God. We, we feel pretty strong right now. But um, I'm 46, going on 47, and I can just tell you, by being older, you know that that will not last. That there will be seasons that will be hard and so the life of Jacob, it gives hope to people like us. And, and this week in particular, it's, it's one of, you know, probably one of the strangest accounts in all of Scripture about someone encountering God. And um, this has become a little bit more personal for me because it just so happens that uh, this season I'm dropping off my son two times a week for jujitsu. And 
that is something where you are just legitimately wrestling, trying to bring your opponent into submission, and he will come home and he will say, Dad, can I put you in this chokehold? I just learned. <laughs> and I will let him. <laughs> I haven't tapped yet, you know. But we, but we, get, in a, we get an encounter with God that is so strange because God wrestles Jacob. He wrestles Jacob. It's so strange. And yet, it's in this encounter with God where we actually get a glimpse of what it's like to really encounter God and actually what it takes to be transformed by Him, to be changed by Him. And we're going to see three things this morning. We're going to see that an encounter in God involves a wounding. But secondly, a true encounter with God involves a blessing. And then lastly, we're going to see a true encounter with God involves a limping. So let me pray and we'll, we'll get in. Father, this morning, would you help us to encounter you as you are? We pray that you would, in many regards, turn what we thought of you upside down. Uh, would, you, would you change us? because of who you are, and purely by your grace. And most of all, would you, would you give us a glimpse, a fresh glimpse of your son Jesus, who's the key. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Well, firstly, uh, an encounter with God, a real encounter with God involves a wounding. You know, as the passage opens, uh, Jacob is fording the river Jabbok with his two wives, servants, and 11 kids. And that is a harrowing adventure, okay? This is, this is not a safe thing. And you might be saying, well, why is he doing this? Well, right before this passage, he has heard the news that he is going to meet his brother Esau. And 20, it's been 20 years, two decades since he's seen his brother Esau. And the last time he saw his brother Esau, his brother Esau wanted to kill him because Jacob had deceived him and cheated him out of his legitimate birthright. And so he's heard the news that there's his brother Esau with 400 men are coming. And that's all he knows. And so Jacob is having a dark night of the soul. And here's what's interesting. Jacob, he has to go forward. He can't go back. Because right before <clears throat> the chapter before, he left Laban, his uncle, who he deceived and was shrewd, I guess, in his business dealings, and they actually had to make a peace treaty. And, and they said, all right, here's the deal. We're going to put this stone here, and if you cross this, then I can hurt you, but if you're on this side, I can't hurt you. They, they made a peace treaty. So Jacob is legitimately, he's stuck. He can't go back, and what's coming at him is his brother with 400 men. In other words, the past 20 years of his living is getting, it's, it's catching up to him. And so he crosses this river, puts his family safe on the one side, goes back over, and he's all alone. And then, out of the blue, in verse 24 it says, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. And this is what we learn about encountering the one true God. And it's not what any of us would think. 
If you think about this, Jacob is actually obeying God here. God had told him to go back to the promised land, back to where he was supposed to go. He's obeying God. And what does God do in the dark night of the soul? He does not show up and comfort him. He does not show up and give him encouragement. He doesn't show up and give him a pep talk. You got this, Jacob. He comes up, and I don't want to be irreverent here, but he assaults him. He wrestles him. Is that what you thought God would do? One of my good friends, Brian Gregory, he's a pastor, he, he put it this way. It's so helpful. Here's what he said. There are going to be times when it is going to feel like God is absolutely against you. When he is actually for you. Let me say that again. There are going to be times in which it is going to feel like God is absolutely against you. When he's actually for you. Let me give you a couple different ways that this could be true for you and for me. Um, Some of you this morning, you might be here and you're curious or skeptical about God. And, And here's what I want you to consider. Intellectually, as you encounter the God of Scripture, He is going to challenge you. He is going to challenge you in what you thought was true about him and what is true about yourself. Let me give you an example. In our day, it is common. This is like the air we breathe, in which our culture says this, follow your heart. In other words, our culture would say this, what you can really trust in this world, what has the ultimate authority is you look deep down within you You see what your deepest feelings are, and that's what you put your trust in. And let me put it this way. One of the ways God is going to wrestle you is you're going to read Scripture, and He's going to contradict your heart. He's going to contradict what you feel. And listen, when that happens, He's going to offend you. And he's going to offend some of the modern sensibilities that we have in our day. But here's what you've got to understand that moment. Although it may feel like he's actually against you, he's actually for you. And the question is, will you hold on? Will you wrestle with him as he's wrestling with you? Or how about this? Some of us this morning... Perhaps you've been following Christ for years, or maybe it's just been recently you've begun to follow him, and then a hardship enters your life, a season of suffering, and you begin to wonder, like, God, where are you? I thought you were for me. I thought that you were actually my friend. You know, like, the the book of Job is a wonderful case study in this. Job is one of those guys that, like, he has, he's sincerely devoted to God. He's blessed beyond all description, and yet he loses everything. 
And even his wife says, curse God and die. Why? Because it's clear God's against you. And yet God is something deeper for Job. Much deeper. And it's not that God's against him, but that he's actually for him. There's more going on. And that's what we see here. In in those moments when you feel like God is against you, he's actually for you. And at the end of this, as, as he's wrestling all night with God, at one point it says that God touches his hip socket. And Jacob's hip is out of joint. Has anyone here dislocated a finger? That is so painful. Like I've jammed my finger plenty of times. That hurts. I've never dislocated. But we're talking about a hip socket here. That is so painful. And what is God doing here? God is wounding Jacob. If you're wrestling and you can't move your hip, it's still, it, you're, you're dislocated, you've got no power. You've got no way of overtaking your opponent. There's nothing he can do. All Jacob can do is one thing, and he does it, and that's hold on. That's all he can do. Let me put it this way, small note here. Do do you feel like God is against you in this season of your life? One thing you have to learn from Jacob is simply this, hold on. Hold on. Now, one of the reasons why we know that God is for Jacob in this passage, even though it feels like he's against him, is because God blesses Jacob. Um, and this is the second point un- under blessing. Um, in fact, this is really actually quite interesting. W- one of the reasons why God shows up and the encounter with God is, is one of wrestling is because Jacob has been wrestling his entire life. Um, <clears throat> we started this series in Genesis 25. Uh, Jacob's one of a twin, right? Like Jacob and Esau, they're in the womb, and the passage literally says that um, it, they were clashing together within her. Like one commentator noted, this is like an MMA fight in the womb. Jacob started wrestling even at, like, you know, month four with his brother. As they're being born, Esau gets out first, and Jacob's grabbing the heel. And then, of course, he cheats, he deceives, he lies with, with Esau and with Laban. He's constantly trying to overcome and overwhelm through shrewdness, through deceit, through whatever he can do to get a blessing. And so far, he's actually 2-0. Like, he's undefeated in this. And so it's not surprising that in verse 26, Jacob and God are talking. And in verse 26, God says this, and he said, let me go for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. (laughs) Jacob has not changed. He wants the blessing, but this time it's from God. And notice what God says. Look in verse 27. God says, 
what is your name? What is your name? Now, this is, of course, interesting. It's, it's not that God didn't know Jacob's name, okay? Clearly, he knows Jacob's name. But what's going on here? It, it's simply this. For Jacob to admit his name is an admission of guilt. His name is linked with deception. That's what his name means. God is saying to Jacob, the only way to receive blessing from me is to come to me with honesty with who you are. You've got to become weak and vulnerable and come to me as you are. You really are. It's the only way you're going to get blessing. And that means, this is the fascinating part, the, the, the obstacle to receiving blessing from God, it's just simply pride. It's self-sufficiency. And, and listen, this, this comes in a lot of different ways. Let me give you three. One is just religious pride. If you say, well, God, I want blessing, and here's how I want you to, here's how I want you to give it to me. I'm going to start going to church. I'm going to start praying. I'm going to be really good. I'm doing my best at being patient with my kids or whatever it might be. Like, what you understand right there is there's pride going on there because you're trying to earn the blessing. And again, it's not there's anything wrong with church or prayer or anything like that, but it's, it's the question of why. Why? There's also despairing pride. You know, this is the kind of pride that says, I'm just simply too bad. I've done too many bad things in my life. There's no way God would bless me if I actually came to him. Therefore, I'm not going near him. But don't you see, that's pride as well. Here's one. There's therapeutic pride. This is one that says the highest good is to be happy. The highest good is self-actualization in the sense to say, well, this is just who I am. God, you just have to take me as I am. But that's a form of pride. And Jacob, he rejects the religious pride. I think he just knows he can't ever be good enough. <laughs> He's such a deceiver, right? He knows who he is. But he also rejects the despairing pride that says, you know, I'm not good enough. He knows he's not good enough. He rejects therapeutic pride that says, you know, God, I've always been deceitful. I've always been shrewd. I've always been self-centered. From the very beginning, just take me as, no, he, he rejects that as well. And in verse 27, he says his name. He owns it. He comes to God as he is. And look at how God responds in verse 28. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Jacob receives the blessing as a gift of grace. He hasn't earned it. 
And in the blessing, he receives a new name, the name that becomes the name of the people of God, Israel, which means he strives with God and he's prevailed. And what's interesting, think about this, in every one of his previous matches, when he's wrestled with others, how has he prevailed? He's prevailed through shrewdness, through deceit, through self-centeredness, through his own power. And how has he prevailed here? Through weakness. That's how he's overwhelmed God. Weakness. Do you want blessing from God? Do you want to, in a sense, overcome God, be a God conqueror? It means you've got to show up and know you don't deserve a blessing. It means we've we've got to show up and know and own up to our pride, our self-sufficiency, all of the ways we try to save ourselves. And we've got to say our name. You've got to say your name. But there's another side of this match, and it's really interesting. I don't know if you caught it when we were reading it, but there's this weird thing going on in this match. In verse 26, God says to Jacob, let me go. Uh, In verse 25, the narrator says that actually God couldn't prevail against Jacob. Now, just to be clear here, let's just think for a moment here. Is there a mismatch here, right? You know, some of you left the Wisconsin game last night at halftime, right? Because there, there was a mismatch there last night, right? Like you, you know someone's better than the other, right? That's, that's what happens. But what's also fascinating is when, when it says that God dislocated his hip, like got out of socket, um, the word for that, it simply means to just touch. It's like if you touched your app on your phone. Do you see what's happening here? There, there's just, it's like, on the one hand, God is weak. On the other hand, he's got so much strength. So, so what's happening there? Well, listen, if you're a parent, you know this. If you've ever wrestled with your kids, if you're a good parent, you know what you do. You become weak, right? You let them win when you wrestle. If you're a bad parent, you know, it's the one, like, just pin them every time, and, like, there's no, <laughs> you think you could own me, right? Like, you, you've got some issues, right? But, but why do you, I mean, why do you as a parent, why do you become weak? Because you love them. And this is what's remarkable. Do you see how God is for Jacob here? Here's why. God becomes weak so that God can bless Jacob. Do you see what's happening there? God becomes weak so that he can bless Jacob. And friends, that points us to a descendant of Jacob. You see, in the fullness of time, Jesus Christ, the God-man, would come. And he would become weak in order to bless you. 
One commentator noted it this way, how did he do this? Think about Jesus in the garden. He would wrestle with God the Father, and he would say, may this cup for me pass. He would wrestle with God the Father on the cross and say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And yet in the midst of all that suffering, he never once let go of his Father. And it led to his death. But that was in order to bless you and to bless me with salvation, with new life, with a new identity. He becomes weak in order to bless you. And you see, this is what's transformative. Do you see what's happening here? If you want to be, if you want to encounter God truly and be transformed, on the one hand, you've got to understand there's nothing you can do to earn the blessing. You've got to come weak as you are. You've got to say your name. And yet also discover that in that encounter, there is a God who's more than sufficient to meet you with his grace. The grace that is found in Jesus, who on your behalf became weak to bless you. One last thing. Limping. Look at verse 31. The sun rose up upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. Um, one of the things that I love about Scripture is there is an art to it. There is this complexity to it about how they wrote it down. And one of the things that's really remarkable about this final scene is it's brimming with hope and meaning because it says the sun rose upon him. And did you know this? The last time in the book of Genesis that the sun set was 20 years earlier when Jacob first met God at Bethel. And you know what that means? What, what the narrator is saying in the book of Genesis is, is simply this. Jacob has been in exile and in darkness for 20 years. But now, because he's come in weakness and God's met him in that weakness, he's now has a new identity and he has new life. And he has a new future. He's out of the exile. Do you see that? And yet what's interesting, right, is Jacob is limping. He's limping. My good friend Brian Gregory put it this way. The only way to walk straight with God is with a limp. Put it this way, the Apostle Paul, years later, in 2 Corinthians, would write about a thorn in his flesh. And um, there's a lot of speculation about what that actually was. <clears throat> but at one point he says, he, he pleaded three times that the Lord would take that from him. And in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, he gives what God gave him as an answer. He said this, 
God said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Just consider this for a moment with me. A true encounter with God leads to, in some form or fashion, learning to walk with a limp. It means learning to walk in weakness. And listen, that's going to look different for, for each one of us, but, but let me give you one example. Um, years ago, Bob Coughlin, and it, he's fairly well known in, in, in the world of kind of worship circles, but he shared how early on in pastoral ministry, he just mentally fell apart. He was having panic attacks. He was battling thoughts of death, of his own death. And in the middle of trying to figure out what was going on, this is what he said. He said, although I've been a Christian for 22 years, I was driven by a desire to be praised by men, and I wasn't succeeding. Listen, if you've ever done a startup before, you know you're going to get criticism, right? <laughs> you just are. And he was receiving criticism, and he felt absolutely hopeless. And he mentions a couple things that were particularly helpful. But one was a conversation he had with a friend. And he was telling a friend how hopeless he felt. And his friend said this, <clears throat> you know, Bob, I think your problem is that you don't feel hopeless enough. <laughs> and he said at the beginning, he was like, are you, are you serious? <laughs> like inside, that's what he was saying. On the outside, of course, he probably looked pretty good, right? And his friend said this. He said, no, if, if you were hopeless, you would stop trusting in yourself and rely completely on what Jesus Christ has accomplished for you. And he said that was the moment where that was the beginning of the way out. And he said this, every time the feelings of hopelessness and panic attacks, and he said the desire to ball up in a fetal position would come on him, he would say this, I feel completely hopeless because I am hopeless, but Jesus Christ died for hopeless people, and I am one of them. And that was the start of the way out. And I don't know Bob Coughlin personally, but people who know him will comment on how joyful he is, that he's one of the most joyful people that is around. And when I ask him why, this is what he says. My joy comes from knowing that at the very bottom of who I am, it is blackness and sin, but God's love and grace goes deeper. You see, for Bob Coughlin, walking with a limp means in the midst of his hopelessness, in a sense boasting in it and running to the person and work of Jesus and experiencing what Paul would say is the power of Christ resting upon him. We're going to close here in a moment. Let me just invite the band back up as they get set here. Let me just share just a few thoughts on where you might be this morning. 
Some of you, you are in the midst of a season that is really hard. And one of the things we see in this passage is simply this. When it feels like God's against you, he's actually for you. Therefore, hold on to him. Even, even as he's holding on to you. Some of you this morning, you know, um, you want to be changed. You want to be different. You want to be a different person. I want you to understand that that actually begins by coming to God just as you are and owning up to who you are, saying your name, and in that weakness, knowing that he meets you in that weakness with his son Jesus, who's become weak for you. And then lastly, this might be the hardest thing for a church in Madison, Wisconsin. And what I mean by that is, this is the place you go to get trained. This is the place you go to get educated. This is the place you go to build your credentials. You've got to learn to walk with a limp. Which means you don't boast, you don't, you don't boast in your status. You don't boast in whatever gifts you have. You don't boast in your position. You actually learn, by the way, those things are fine. Positions are fine. Status is fine. Those things are fine. But you learn, actually, to walk with a limp is to go, where do I feel weak? And here's the deal. You don't compensate for it. You don't hide in it. You don't excuse it. You learn somehow in the finished work of Jesus, he meets you in it, and that enables you to walk with God and also to walk with others with a limp in weakness. Let's pray. God, in some respects, um, we really don't want to encounter you because we know what it means. It, it changes, it flips things. And yet, in another way, as we hear about who you are and how you encounter us, it, there, there's, a, there's a drawing to that. We somehow long for that. And so, Lord, for those that are just struggling, would you help them to hold on? Would you hold on to them? For those that are not sure if you actually receive them as they are, would you, through the work of your Spirit, through the gift of your Son, would they see that you've met, that you've met them in their weakness? And God, would, would, would there be, would you do a work in such a way that... Um, in many respects, the gifts, the resources, the things we have here, we're so grateful for them. But Lord, would you help us to walk with a limp, with a dependency that would somehow lean over to walking with a humility and a weakness and seeing that your Son and your grace is sufficient. And we give you thanks for all this because of your Son, who has met us in weakness and meets us even now. Amen.